0: Hello, and welcome to Surviving HG, the truth about plant medicine podcast. I'm your Canadian host, Tori Moline, and I can't wait to share with you all the brave untold stories of women who faced hyperemesis gravidarum and courageously chose to use plant medicine. These stories carry with them raw experiences, brave vulnerability, and ultimately the intuitive powers HG moms have deep within inside of us. This podcast marries two untalked-about subjects, HG and the generation of women who were silenced, and the natural yet stigmatized powers of the cannabis plant. HG is the picture-perfect illness candidate for cannabis, but because it involves pregnancy and growing a baby, doctors in the medical world are reluctant to try it and to recommend it. Decades worth of propaganda still contributes to many people, including these doctors outlook on plant medicine. In some places like the UK or Texas, for example, HG moms who choose to use cannabis out of survival to save them and their baby are persecuted. In other places, HG moms are given a hard time by social workers, family members, partners, hospital staff, and their OB and midwife. HG moms deserve justice after centuries of suffering. HG moms deserve to know about plant medicine as an option during HG pregnancies. HG moms deserve to know there are other women fighting just like them and making the brave decision to go against the social norms and choose plant medicine. HG moms need education, resources, and community after centuries of being deprived from it. These stories you are about to hear are from moms who bravely shared them in hopes of helping create change for future HG generations. These stories deserve to be heard. These stories deserve to be protected. And these stories deserve to be shared and listened to. These are the untold stories of HG plant medicine moms. Okay, you guys, I had the lovely privilege of getting to know a mom from Oregon. Uh, Her name is Ashley. And the coolest part about this mom's story that you're about to hear is the fact that she had an HG pregnancy and did not use cannabis. And then a couple years later, she had another HG pregnancy, used cannabis, and was able to see the wonderful benefits that the plant brings to an HG pregnancy. On this episode, we chat a lot about alternative medicine, such as cannabis, mushrooms, and more. Um, Ashley is also a mom who chose to use mushrooms instead of other pharmaceuticals uh, in the postpartum period of time and so we kind of get into that. Ashley lives on a ranch in Oregon and so she's surrounded by a lot more uh, holistic ways of life, uh, more access to holistic ways of living and so she grows a lot of her own food, has a lot of her own animals, stuff like that so she gets she talks with us a little bit about what it's like to grow up there and have access to all that kind of stuff and in this conversation we really talk about that intuition that hg moms have and how hg moms need the access to it the stories that go along with it from other moms the the tools that we need to educate ourselves to tap into that intuition and to trust ourselves and to know that our body can be healing Oh, this conversation is so rich. I cannot wait for us to dive into it. Here we go. All right. I have the lovely privilege to talk to another HG mom um, from Oregon, the United States, and she is on the other end of the line here. Welcome, Ashley. Hi. Hello. Awesome. Next. It's so nice to talk to you uh, for this podcast. We've had a little bit of conversations over the past few months um, online, on Instagram, on TikTok. And I've kind of uh I've been excited to have this conversation with you because of our shared perspectives on some things related to HG, some common experiences we have, but also the fact that you have. I think a whole other realm of knowledge that I've been kind of just so curious about and asking you questions about. And so I I can't wait to dive into that and share some of that info with uh, other HG moms here. But uh, to get started, uh, do you want to just give us a little bit of an introduction, Um, uh, maybe kind of describing how Oregon or what it's like to live in Oregon as well? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, of course. So I actually live in a little town called Roseburg, Oregon. Um, It is in sort of southern Oregon right off I-5. And I live on a farm that was actually homesteaded by my mom's great-great-grandfather. So I was born and raised in this actual same house that I live in right now. Lived here my entire life. I adore it. Um, Oregon is really pretty progressive as far as resources for holistic living and things like plant medicine and I've been really blessed to kind of experience that we're really close to nature here you don't really have to go very far to go hiking or spend time you know there's people here everywhere who will wear like barefoot shoes or there's holistic stores and vitamin shops like on every corner like it's really a different perspective especially since i've gotten the experience of traveling to a lot of different states and even a few other countries where that's not the case so i'm really really lucky to live where i do
0: wow yeah that's so that's so interesting to me as a canadian mom to kind of hear about this accessibility to um i guess more more holistic options i suppose but that's very very cool um i was going to ask you so in Oregon, during your first pregnancy, you had hyperemesis gravidarum, right? Yes, I did. And so do you want to talk a little bit about your first pregnancy experience with HG? Um, and, ha- and did you choose to use cannabis during that time?
1: So with my first, I actually got married to my husband in the... March of 2019. And we decided to wait, oh, say like five years to have kids. And around the end of May 2019, I was feeling just really exhausted and nauseous. And I was vomiting a lot. And I kept telling my husband, I'm like, I'm really sick. I don't know what's wrong with me. And he was just like, I don't know, go to the doctor. And just one random morning, I'm like, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. I'm on birth control. We're obviously not trying to have a kid, but I'm going to take a pregnancy test and make sure that's not what's up. Because my mom had told me she had been really sick during her pregnancies, but she never really went into detail on what that meant. Right. And my pregnancy test was positive. I almost passed out of shock in our little one bedroom, one bathroom apartment on the top of our neighbor's barn. Um. <laughs> And I, uh, we, we really didn't know what to do. I was only 20 at the time. I just turned 21 actually. And I, I don't think I've even had a legal drink of alcohol yet at that point. So I just, I felt like I had absolutely no idea what to do. I was so sick. Nobody had any information on if being that sick was normal. If it was hurting my baby, if it was hurting me, I obviously got a call in really quickly to um, the doctor's office where I later picked my nurse midwife and they got me in and um, jumping into that, it was, I expected, you know, them to be like, oh yeah, you can do this for the vomiting. You will feel better if you do this. It's not hurting you. It is hurting you. Here's some options Instead, I was met basically throughout my pregnancy with, oh, yeah, that really sucks when you puke that much.
0: Wow. So Um, passion, really, hey?
1: So really no passion, no help, no concern for how it was affecting me or the baby that was growing inside of me. I'm a new mom. I was really just figuring out how to kind of cope with some childhood trauma and uh, just kind of growing up and being married because up until that point I'd lived with my parents and um so it was just like all of these new things all at once I didn't have the knowledge to research what was happening to me I just had a couple people being like oh yeah sometimes you're sick good luck right and that was really really hard
0: no kidding yeah um and so you were saying that uh, your mom also
1: had HD. It's a it's a little bit hereditary in your family. So it seems like it. When my mom and I have talked, she said she vomited daily, sometimes multiple times a day, with all four of her pregnancies. Um, and then I was talking to my mom's mom the other day, and she was really really sick with my mom, but not with either of my uncles. So. I'm not sure if my grandmother also had HG or if she ended up just kind of having some morning sickness with my mom, but that was really interesting to me that it seemed to kind of travel down generationally. And that's something I have a sister who's a few years younger than me that I've kind of been talking to and trying to prepare because she's kind of just met somebody and they're kind of, I wouldn't say they're super serious in their relationship, but I'm, trying to talk to her and prepare her for that. So she knows like, if you get pregnant, it might suck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a,
0: that's such an untalked about thing is I guess uh, those of us eldest uh, sisters who have those younger siblings, this is a conversation that it's almost like, it's not that we're responsible for, but we're the only ones it seems in our, in our, in our families who might have some information and some some, be able to offer a little bit of help compared to what we would have received from the women around us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It seems like a lot of us who either had parents or grandparents who had it, our, our parents or grandparents were also just kind of told, oh, it's normal. Good luck. Right. And kind of just let to suffer with that. And so they maybe don't have the knowledge or even had the idea that it might pass along to their kids. Very true. That so that's kind of interesting kind of navigating having those conversations. It
0: is. Yes. And sorry, we'll we'll jump back into this. We were talking about your first HD pregnancy there. We'll get back to this topic, but um during that first HD pregnancy, uh sorry, did you use cannabis?
1: So I actually had never touched cannabis up until after I had my daughter. I didn't know it was an option. Nobody told me that it was safe to use during pregnancy. I had a couple people tell me that it was really harmful to pregnancy and the baby. And so I'm also considering that I had a nurse midwife, she was not in favor of cannabis use right. during pregnancy. So it was really, even though I live here in Oregon, where a lot of people use cannabis, um, I we probably got 10 shot C- cannabis shops here in the little town with uh, I think twenty five thousand people I live in. Wow! So that's a lot of sh- that's a lot of cannabis shops here. Um, how did you- But it was still just super stigmatized back then. Right. So if you didn't
0: use cannabis during your first pregnancy, um, how how did you survive? I guess. Uh-
1: <laughs> I I wouldn't say what I did was surviving. Um, I was fortunate enough that I had I was self-employed so my job at that point was actually training horses and giving young children horseback riding lessons okay and I had just gone through a major life trauma where our horse barn collapsed in a big snowstorm and so I was already laid off from my sort of self-employed business I had Just gotten married. We were just kind of taking a break. I was doing the housewife thing, cooking and cleaning our home and taking care of us in that way while my husband worked. Yeah. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to just lay in bed next to the toilet and just puke all day, every day for a long long time of existence. Yeah. Oh my goodness. A long, long time. I was convinced that I needed to keep something in my stomach to keep my baby alive. So I would puke and I would go right to the kitchen and I would eat or drink whatever was there. I didn't really care what it was. Right. Um, And probably 15, 20 minutes later, I'd puke it back up. And I just kind of kept repeating that cycle. So it was honestly, it was torture. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't wish that on anybody.
0: (laughs) I I have no words for how difficult that must've been. Wow. Um, and so this horrible experience with no like not having cannabis as an option during your first pregnancy, what kind of result did that have on you during um you can talk about both or or just one, uh either your labor delivery and postpartum?
1: So for labor delivery, I was I was fairly convinced that I wanted to have a very natural pregnancy and labor and delivery, followed by a very like holistic and natural postpartum. Um, I'd done research leading me to believe that that was healthier for me, healthier for the baby. And if I could do that, it would be obviously the best thing I could do. And I'd like to strive for the best thing I could do in life, even if I don't achieve it. So I ended up, I was puking literally the entire time I was in labor. I was really, really stressed out being in the hospital. Um, I really don't like being in the hospital. It scares the crap out of me. Yeah. And I ended up getting an epidural, puked with the epidural in up until literally the second the baby was born. I remember just feeling like I wasn't even present. Even yeah. though, like, the baby was on my chest, she was crying. I'm just laying in the bed, like, just drained because I'd been puking so much. I just literally wanted to die at that point in time when I should have been really excited to meet my baby.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And that I think was maybe one of the hardest things because with all of the reading I'd done, I'd read about how much you're going to love and how much of an exciting moment meeting that little baby is going to be for the first time. And it was quite possibly one of the worst experiences of my life
0: yeah I remember being so
1: oh continue oh I was just
0: going to say I just remember also being just so overwhelmed by the fact that like my body had just gone through like a war and then all of a sudden I had to take care of a baby it was just such a shock to the system almost um but yeah Yeah, absolutely
1: So, yeah, that I think really had the most effect on my postpartum experience. I told everybody I knew I was never doing that again. I hate being pregnant. I hate babies. (laughs) I don't want any more children. I was luckily not vomiting in postpartum. Um, So that was helpful. But I also I just couldn't eat. Mm -hmm. and that was also not talked about, so as somebody who had struggled with anorexia in her teenage years, I'm like, I want to eat, so that's not it, what is going on with me, and it really, it just led to probably one of the biggest mental health crises in my life, which is saying a lot. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just, uh, I'm relating so much as you're saying this.
1: (laughs) Um. So, postpartum, like, my mental health, just, it was down in the dumps, I was breastfeeding my baby i was she was a really really unhappy baby she she puked nearly every time i fed her from the time she was born up until she was almost 2 years old Um, every pediatrician I took us to said that was normal. She ended up actually having something called cyclic vomiting syndrome, which we'll actually talk about more when we start talking about nutrition in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but she was just such an unhappy baby. She never wanted to sleep. Nobody was telling me if it was normal, what I could do to help it. If it was because I was sick during pregnancy and it was, it was just really, really hard on me, on my mental health. I ended up bed sharing with her because she literally would not sleep unless she was touching me. And I had people in my life who I was really close to telling me I was a bad mom for that, telling me I was trying to kill my baby. It was, I, I don't honestly know why I went and had another baby after that experience now that I'm recounting it to you, but I am glad that I did. True. But I guess
0: knowing you, I would say that you came up with some pretty good solutions that are not solutions, but um, you kind of learned a lot from your first pregnancy. So maybe this is a good time to kind of transition now into your talking about your second and the fact that you did learn kind of so much about your body and maybe even just like cannabis in a way. And you can maybe talk about that a little bit. Um. So yeah, yeah definitely. Your second pregnancy, how... How was that and how was it different?
1: (laughs) So with my second, we actually had a chance to kind of discuss whether or not we wanted to add another little person to our family. And my daughter loves having people around all the time. If she could have like a million people around her, she would love it. So (laughs) we kind of knew that she would be really happy with a sibling. And talking about that, that kind of really drove my decision is knowing that a child would be really happy even if i had to suffer and i'm like i think that's maybe worth it i don't know like it's going to really change her life hopefully for the better i think i'm like i think i can handle puking again like it's going to really suck i'm probably going to lay in bed but i think i can handle it and at that point i did not plan on using cannabis in my pregnancy i had used periodically for like mental health starting around a year postpartum with my daughter, okay, um, but not really very consistently. And I still just wasn't super sure on, you know, using during pregnancy and stuff. And I didn't really have anybody to tell me if it was okay or not. And they're just, you Google it and it's like, cannabis will kill your baby. (laughs) And I'm like, that's not helpful for anybody, nor is it true. Um, Right. So we kind of talked about that. Decided, yeah, let's go ahead and try to have a baby. Well, a month later, I was pregnant and I was puking. Uh (laughs) Aha!
0: So So you knew knew it was happening.
1: (laughs) I'm like, it's it it couldn't have waited till you know eight weeks to start. I couldn't have had a couple good weeks of pregnancy. We're like, this is the best thing ever. I'm so excited, but no. And I knew right then that I wanted a different experience. Um, My midwife, when I had brought up my postpartum mental health with her, prescribed me um, antidepressants. And they made me the numbest, most boring, terrible person on earth. I hated them. I I couldn't feel. I didn't have any normal range of emotion. And it really sucked. I gained a lot of weight. I was still really depressed. Zero out of ten. Do not recommend. Yeah, I know they're necessary for some people, but that sucked. Um, So I had gotten off of those when I started using cannabis. So I wasn't dealing with trying to stop taking those while I got pregnant or anything. But I knew that I didn't want to go the midwife route again. Mm -hmm. Everything about that was terrible. I had what I thought was going to be a really good midwife the first time and everything, too. So it wasn't even that. I had called to set up an appointment for an ultrasound. I ended up skipping that appointment. I had a friend who was like, "Well, what if you just have a home birth?" Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I, "I don't know." I thought about that with my first, but I was like, "I don't even know if first-time moms can have home births." Is this legal? Like, <laughs> right? There was, there was not really any information. I was searching, right. you know, home births in Oregon, home birth midwife, Roseburg, Oregon. Nothing coming up on Google. Right. And I was like. I I think I would like that, but I don't even know how to go about that. (laughs) And my friend ended up giving me the information for a local home birth midwife that she had actually used with her first baby. And so she had that experience. She was like, she's fantastic. You're going to love her. Call her. Just talk with her. See if you like it. And So at that point, I was just doing as much research as I could on home birth. (laughs) Excuse me. And I, I met with the midwife and she was fantastic. I told her I had had a hyperemesis gravidarum pregnancy before I told her, I'm fairly certain that's what I'm having again, considering I'm puking, you know, two to 15 times a day. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no problem. I've had several patients or clients who have come to me with the same thing. She's like, have you considered cannabis? That's first appointment right there. And I was like, I kind of thought about it, but I don't really, I don't really know about like safety during pregnancy and I don't want to hurt my baby. And she was like, I really think if you're puking this much, it's worth a try. And I'm really stubborn. I hadn't seen anything, research, nothing to show me that it wouldn't hurt my baby. I said, no, I'm just going to tough it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And come around 15, 16 weeks pregnant, I had lost 25 pounds. Oh, I was laying in bed wondering if I should even continue being pregnant. Um, Oregon is one of the states where we can still terminate a pregnancy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I felt really, really guilty for like thinking like, do I even want this baby? Like, is it worth this? And I just remember like just crying in bed like all day. My husband had come home from work and my toddler would be sitting playing with her like toys on the floor next to my bed. And I'm just laying in bed, just sobbing. And my husband's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm not okay. I'm not going to be okay. I don't know what to do. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And that was just a really really heartbreaking moment, but things turned around shortly after. My I had a midwife appointment that same week and she was like I really think you just need to try cannabis. Oh. She said I think it will help you, I think it will help you mentally, emotionally and it's going to help you not vomit so much.
0: Yeah, she recognized the state you were in, that's amazing.
1: And so I did and I try. I was previously only using edibles. I don't really like smoking. I don't like the way it feels. I don't like the way it tastes. Mm -hmm. It just kind of feels yucky to me. Um, Nothing against any moms who do. I don't have anything against other people that do. I just don't super love it.
0: Yeah, I'm, and I'm so curious to <clears throat> you know, know more about your edible um, regimen or schedule because I tried edibles during my HD pregnancy and it did not work. So I think I'll be asking you lots of questions because I hope to try them during my next one. But um, yeah, yeah, of
1: course. So I had I had some just like five milligram, maybe they were ten milligram THC. I think they were a sativa pearls. Okay. And they did, I took, sorry, I took a whole one and it did absolutely nothing. I felt worse. I said, this doesn't work. And she says, I think you're trying the wrong thing. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to hurt the baby. She's, she finally had dug up some research and I had also found the same article digging through a Facebook group for, um, I think it's the one that's called THG so it's the hyperemesis support group. Oh yes, yes. Um on Facebook. And I had found a research article that was from a like Chinese medicine perspective about how they recommended smoking cannabis to women as soon as they were nauseous. So I who had never smoked before in my life at that point, just know that I didn't super like the idea of it, the way that it smelled, the way that it looked. I was just like, I don't know what to do. I went down to the local cannabis shop I'd been going to. I said, give me a pen. I want THC and CBD. I'd like it if it tasted sort of fruity, so I don't have to taste the cannabis taste in that. Cause they feel like it just tastes kind of burnt and yucky. And they're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, Nope, but that's your job. Help me out. And I walk out of the store with my new little cannabis pen, oh tried God. it at home. <laughs> didn't puke a single time the rest of the night after I tried that. Wow. That's so interesting. That was like a big step for me. I was, I texted my midwife. I'm like, I've got my stupid smoke pen. <laughs> I feel better.
0: (laughs) She's like,
1: I'm glad. Keep me updated. And so I kind of kept using that anytime I'd start to feel nauseous or even I would just get out of bed. And instead of running to the toilet, I'd run onto my back porch and take a couple puffs. And then I, I just, I felt better for the most part that could kind of stop most of my vomiting. There was still, you know, a few times a day if I was not right on my timing,
0: Yes, manageable though, right?
1: <laughs> but it was it was definitely manageable. I could live yeah. pretty normally. My house went from looking like it was a hoarder's <laughs> den of stuff that I had just been piling up and couldn't find the energy to clean to being tidy again. I was taking my toddler outside to play with her. I was yes. just kind of keeping up on cooking and doing normal like household things that I would have been doing before that. Right. It's it's crazy what <laughs>
0: it makes and oh, getting outside is so so important during pregnancy too and I know so many moms who um maybe they don't choose cannabis and they're just stuck inside all of pregnancy because of how horrible they feel and uh, cannabis really gets us out of the house which is cool great <laughs> it
1: really does I love the I love the connection with nature I feel when I am using cannabis it's super helpful for me especially mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so Um, so as far as like edibles go, Mm -hmm. um, I had kind of decided I was like, I don't really love the way that the, that smoking like tasted. It kind of left a weird taste in my mouth. I wasn't puking, thank goodness, even though I had the weird taste in my mouth, but I'm like, I think I want to try to figure out if I can make edibles work.
0: Ah, And so I
1: tried, I decided I was reading and I'm like, I think I need to have both THC and CBD in more of like a whole plant rather than an isolated portion, right? Right. And so that was kind of hard because again, I didn't really know what I was looking at. I wasn't a huge cannabis user. It was it was it's just a been... completely foreign territory. I still yeah. don't know a whole lot about all of your all of the cannabis terms and what everybody does. I
0: was gonna say this has been a huge learning curve. Um like to go from not no cannabis experience and then to using it for survival. Wow.
1: <laughs> it was super strange, especially because I couldn't really talk about that with my family. My mom's not really super for cannabis. Um, She, she's just not a big fan of it. And so I couldn't really talk about that with her because I really didn't need the emotional effects of, I don't think you should do that. I think it could hurt you. I think it could hurt the baby. I just, I didn't want to deal with that. And I knew that would come if I had talked to her a lot about that. So So I was really kind of isolated to talking to my husband who had absolutely no idea what was going on, but he was glad I wasn't puking. And my midwife who also, there's just not a lot of research out there, but she knew that it had helped her clients before and she knew that it was helping me. And she just kept reminding me that it was helping the research that there was out there. Didn't happen to find any evidence of it actually hurting the baby. And that it was going to be okay. And it was really nice to have her support through that because obviously with my last medical professional, it was uh, take these uh, pharmaceutical pills or be sick. And I had read the research out there on the options she gave me. And I did not want to do that to my baby. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Which obviously led to me feeling terrible, and I think that if those things help moms, obviously they should have that option and be able to make informed choices around that. So I'm not right. upset at any moms who are choosing choosing that. I think it can be really helpful. <laughs> um, but on the <laughs> so sorry, I don't know what's happening oh, today. You're good. you're good. On the edible use, I decided to just find an option that was more of a whole plant. And I started taking just a teeny tiny bit. I think the, the edible gummies I got were in like a 10 milligram dose and I took like two milligrams of that. Oh. And so um, I hope I'm using the right amounts here because I honestly, I can't super remember and I don't have any of the packaging with me. No, um, it, sounds,
0: it sounds similar to here, like dispensary stuff is usually about five milligrams, 10 milligrams. And then if you buy from like uh, people who make it, at their house or something, you can get much higher milligrams.
1: Right. So yeah. I was buying from a dispensary, and so I got a super high CBD. It was like four to one CBD to THC, and it was supposed to be like whole plant and it was like pomegranate flavored. And I didn't think it tasted very good, but I tried like half a pearl of that because they're little gummy pearls, and it was absolutely life-changing at that moment. I went from puking like two to five times a day with the smoking to puking like once a day if I missed an edible.
0: <laughs> Wait, I just want to repeat that. That was four to one CBD, four CBD to yep. one CBD. I'm Yep, on.
1: so I think it was the the entire container was like 400 milligrams of CBD to 100 milligrams of THC. And they like 10 little gummy pearls in there. I don't know what you guys have in Canada or if those are available across the United States. I have literally no information on any of that for people. So I'm sorry about that. No, that's okay. I
0: think it is pretty standard (laughs) across North America for that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, that's interesting that CBD. So the four to one for being the CBD was what worked for you. Because I guess in my research, I saw that CBD almost worked. Um, not as effectively as THC. So having so I
1: had tried it, CBD yeah. and CBD alone did absolutely nothing.
0: Right. But then having that little um, bit of THC. And but
1: that- having just the enough and it's enough. So say if I like right now I took like one gummy pearl of that, I would be like in that pleasantly buzzed state where you're not really high, but you're not really not. So it's just like that mood uplifting. So it was enough THC. I felt like that it was absolutely like active. And it was actually the same amount of THC that was in the other gummies that I was taking. It was just countered with that CBD.
0: Right. Right. So I
1: really feel like having both was probably the most effective part um, because I had tried the just THC gummies and that did absolutely nothing. It actually made me feel worse.
0: Yeah, it must be something about them, like the marrying between the two that is a good combination. Even in flour, we see like kind of same ratios with like CBD and THC. So that's very interesting knowing that CBD or like a four to one is a good balance.
1: (laughs) So I was eventually I was taking half of one of the little gummy candies roughly every four to six hours. Okay. And so... That was, I, it was, I hearing that like THC, especially from edibles stays in your system for like a while. I was like, should I be taking it this often, but it's working really well. So I didn't want to not, my midwife was like, if it's working, you keep doing what you're doing because you're gaining a little bit of weight back. You're looking healthier. You're acting healthier. She's like, I can see the change in your day-to-day, just range of emotions, Oh, so I continued doing that. I actually, I uh, don't tell uh, the airlines that I packed my little gummies on the airplane and took them all the way to Hawaii with me and made it through a family vacation without vomiting. Wow. Um, but that was, that was really the changing point in pregnancy for me it was right around 20 weeks pregnant. So I went through half of my pregnancy, wanting to die, not wanting to be pregnant considering terminating my pregnancy to maintaining just a normal life Mm -hmm. what a difference hey oh what a difference hey (laughs) yeah that was a huge difference um And then, obviously, I kept using throughout the duration of my pregnancy, and I had a home birth plan, so I I ended up, I stayed pregnant until almost 43 weeks with my son, um, and I ended up using cannabis every single day, up until and including the day I had him. Um, I had decided that I didn't want to be puking during labor. And I knew that was a huge possibility, even with how effective cannabis was, because just how stressful labor is on the body. Right, right. Um, So I had, yeah, absolutely. I had been um, just kind of telling myself, I am not going to puke during labor and just kind of just reaffirming daily affirmations. I'm not going to be puking during labor, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be peaceful. If I make noise, it's going to be these, you know, these low and deep sounds that are actually helpful to the labor process that are helping me breathe. And I ended up not puking, not a single time during labor. I was only in labor for about five hours and I only pushed for about 13 minutes. um, and I ended up having my son, I remember p- pulling him up onto my chest with the help of my midwife because he had had the cord wrapped a few times around his neck. And so she had been down there to kind of help unwind him and pull him up onto my chest. I was in my bathtub in my house uh-huh. and I remember pulling him up onto my chest and just kind of looking at him and it being like the happiest moment of my life. Wow. And at that moment right there was actually when I kind of realized how terrible my birth had been with my daughter. Um, so I had like this like life changing realization of how much I had had a terrible experience with the first, and how different it was, and just processing all of those emotions. Like if you have your baby at home with no pain medication you're going to feel like the most badass woman that has ever walked the face of the earth. At that point, I was like, I am the strongest, coolest person. I just pushed a baby out in my bathtub. I remember telling my midwife, I'm like, I'm so freaking cool. And she was like, yeah, you're high on birth. Chill out. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so true, though.
0: And it's such a wonderful feeling being high off of that. But um, uh, your story is just so incredible because it's it truly is like the, ep- the epitome of what hap- like what can happen, I guess, when you go the medical route and being failed by your providers. And then to have this like, or to like juxtapose your second um, experience and have it just be so different because of your confidence in, in yourself, in your body, in, I guess, like the midwife that you found. That's, that's incredible. <laughs>
1: Yeah. At this point, I'm like, I could have another 10 babies. Just come at me with it. I'll be fine. (laughs) And My husband's like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't need to do that. (laughs) I'm like, listen, it'd be fantastic. We can have babies and chickens and a lot of cats on our little farm. And he's like, yeah, you're going to have to do a lot more convincing to talk me into that. Our son, and is only four months old. Right, right. <laughs> that's so like cool. that. That's a fair point. But I, I like this now. It was, it was to where it, it really changed my perspective from absolutely hating everything about being pregnant and giving birth to loving it. Right,
0: and ah, uh, r- your story makes me excited. <laughs>
1: So I really hope that your next pregnancy is as healing for you as my second was for me. It was just such a big change in perspective and in just my emotional state.
0: That's right. Yeah. And just like you too, like in the past, well, since I gave birth to my first, I just dove into learning as much as I could, I guess. I just soaked up all of the information I could and put it all out there and then, um, what was I going to say? Um, with that though, it's, I want other moms to kind of almost see that there is a whole other world. That's just not being, I guess, shown to us during our first experiences as new moms, when we're not surrounded by women who a enjoy giving birth and B have knowledge about giving birth, you know? And I think that's
1: definitely really hard. Yeah. I think that's affecting
0: a lot of moms as just um, not having that confidence, not even having any of this knowledge. And I wonder how we can like better prepare moms for hyperemesis gravidarum pregnancies and postpartum. You know, I guess cannabis is one step, but there's there just seems to be so much involved. You
1: know, well, there's just such a, there's such a gap because you have women on one end of the spectrum who end up getting pregnant feel fantastic maybe they have some morning sickness or some vomiting through their first trimester maybe into their second trimester but it's you know a couple times a day and they're just those moms I feel like kind of set the tone for moms who have hyperemesis where it's just like oh it's not that bad I had morning sickness that is true and that was kind of something that was really hard to me because I don't really want to negate anybody's experiences with that because I feel like vomiting sucks no matter who you are or what your experience is. But I just, I don't feel like a lot of people really grasp that. I literally vomited every chance that my stomach had to expel something for my entire pregnancy up until I was actually pushing the baby out. Right. And people will hear that and they'll be like, oh, wow, that's insane. Mm-hmm. I'm but like, then- they don't it was my comprehend. it was my life. Yeah, they don't comprehend like it
0: affects every single second of your life pretty much when you're constantly vomiting.
1: <laughs> it's like I had I had a friend who was just like, I just I just didn't even know how much you were puking because I never heard from you. And I'm like, yeah, I was just dying by the toilet the entire time. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fine.
0: Yeah, that was and that was the thing I guess about our, especially our first pregnancies, like within those years, um, is the fact that you couldn't talk about hyperemesis gravidarum because there wasn't even a name for it for like a couple of years. And I mean, there was a name, but nobody knew about it. Um, Yeah, I
1: definitely, I was not or I was not um, diagnosed with hyperemesis with my first. Right. right. Even though I routinely complained to my midwife that I was vomiting, you know, every couple hours up to every. 15 to 20 minutes, even sometimes. And I was just like, Oh yeah, that happens sometimes. Right. Here's your Zofran. And I'm like, I don't want Zofran. I want to stop puking. And that's not going to help based on what I've read online.
0: Right. Um, and I was going to kind of bring this back to, so the mom, I guess the moms who, you know, have those wonderful pregnancies, I wonder, you know, I think they could almost help moms who don't have wonderful pregnancies by you know being more like yes they have a wonderful pregnancy but still talking more truthfully and like honestly and I guess what I'm mostly referring to is you know moms who who go through pregnancy and you see like an Instagram post once a month of how fantastic they're doing even like postpartum or pregnancy and I wonder if just allowing space for women to actually tell the truth and to like not have to pretend like they're doing okay. I think that would open up a lot of conversations and allow for more education on difficult pregnancies, you know?
1: Well, I do really feel like our system doesn't leave room for honesty around birth and postpartum. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost like expected that you're going to have postpartum depression or anxiety and you're just not supposed to talk about it. It's, oh yeah, it'll go away eventually. And I mean, I have another friend locally who actually had HG, used cannabis for HG and it helped some, but not a lot. She obviously, she had a OBGYN and her OB was in support of her, um, which I thought was surprising. And it just, it still didn't super help. I don't know if she didn't find the right ratio of THC to CBD, if she wasn't using the right thing for her body, but she ended up actually being diagnosed with um late-term postpartum depression at like a year and a half after her daughter was born and she posted that I think on her Facebook and people were like that's not postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and I'm just like why are we being so rude to this mom who probably needs help and support and had this you know traumatic pregnancy and birth experience we're we're telling her that her experiences are invalid instead of i mean so say she is lying what what good is somebody going to get from lying about their mental health postpartum
0: exactly
1: like a lot of women- it's just so okay. frustrating
0: continue sorry yeah. i think a lot of women lack knowledge on like how to care for somebody who is experiencing kind of what we did um i'm going to i guess kind of tell my own truth about this but being i was 23 when i got pregnant meaning my friends were around that age as well nobody else had kids um and i'm i can say that like everyone was just clueless as to how to like help me get through it like we've just stigmatized like i guess mental health and that can be associated with hyperemesis gravidarum mental health aspects um we've stigmatized that so much to the point where other women around us are like well, I don't know what to do. Like, maybe I'll just let her be and she can figure this out almost in a way. And it's like, no, we need other women around us to come and help us and to support us and to be there, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I have a couple of friends who are more of that mindset, like pregnancy sucks for everybody. Just shut up about it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I don't blame those women for feeling that way at all. It doesn't, it doesn't upset me. There was a time in life where I probably would have been more upset by that. Um, But that's, I feel like that's really a lot more indicative of how their pregnancy and their struggles were dismissed is that they just, you know, fully believe that, oh yeah, this sucks a little bit for everybody in a different way. You just take your portion of it sucks and deal with it without talking about it. Right, right.
0: I I think about sometimes like I guess the well you and I talk about this a lot like the nutrition aspect of postpartum even during pregnancy too Um, and just I think that a lot of women our age or not even our age every age lack the knowledge of how to nourish our bodies um, for such health crises as hyperemesis gravidarum but I mean there's other illnesses that kind of go with this too Um, and so I wonder like Or I guess, what was your experience in terms of learning more about nourishing your body for, let's say, postpartum?
1: So for me, that actually came about with um, learning about my daughter's cyclic vomiting syndrome. Um, So cyclic vomiting syndrome is basically HG in your daily life. She puked a lot. She puked on a schedule. She puked pretty much every single day, almost every time she ate for her entire life. And obviously when they're a baby, the doctor goes, oh yeah, spit up's normal, sit her up for a little bit and burp her better. Um, As her mom, I knew something was more wrong than that. And I feel like that is really heavily overlooked because babies spit up. Um, Mm. And so it was really hard navigating, like saying, no, something's actually wrong with my baby. She's not healthy. She's, this isn't how this is supposed to go. And not really knowing anything about how how to say that to the doctor, how to get them to believe me, how to change that. And that at that point right there is what really actually stopped my dependence on the medical system. Um, I decided they had absolutely nothing good for me or my family. And I just kind of gave them the middle finger and started researching things on my own because, the doctor we were seeing said, oh, well, it's cyclic vomiting syndrome. We did ultrasounds and blood tests and everything like that for my daughter and nothing came back. They're just like, well, she's got cyclic vomiting syndrome. Good luck. She's going to puke for the rest of her life. And I said, that's not right. Not on my watch. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really started researching and digging into mom's personal experiences. And I think that's something that's really overlooked is how much we can learn from other, other people. We almost yes. view education around like medical things or health as if you didn't pay for your knowledge meaning got it at university or went to school for something that it's not valid mm-hmm. and Absolutely. so researching that myself I had a lot of people just be like oh no that's that's you you can't you can't do that yourself or you can't find that information and I love my kids more than anything on earth and nothing was gonna stop me from figuring out what was going on with my daughter and how to help her feel better. Um, And so I ended up just coming on Instagram accounts and Facebook groups and personal posts and like Reddit forums even. Right. And finding like personal stories and then using their stories and keywords from that to kind of search like Google and Just like, um, just different like research, even from like the National Institute of Health. I'd search through their files and their libraries for studies that were done on that stuff. And I eventually found a mom who became a naturopath after her and her daughter were diagnosed with cyclic vomiting syndrome. And she had actually found a link between something called MCAS which is mast cell activation syndrome um and cyclic vomiting syndrome. Um, because basically anytime the body's puking like that, it's because it's reacting and assuming that there's something in the body that it doesn't want. So mast cells are something and I'm hoping to get the terms right here cuz i just have my basic little human knowledge and not my little medical brain knowledge <laughs> on how this works um but mast cells are responsible for allergic reactions like histamine stuff like that um and so basically anytime there's consistent puking like that it's the body saying there's something in me that i'm allergic to that's hurting me that i need to get out of my body and is it and i found some basically information stating that like mold exposure and Lyme disease and stuff like that were common in like something like 90% of the human population and only a smaller portion of that population would experience things like cyclic vomiting, HG more like severe sickness. And a lot more people would experience say things like psoriasis or eczema or just little skin conditions, IBS, things like that. And Mm -hmm. all of that kind of tied together in the research I was reading. And so with my daughter, I just kind of started an elimination diet where we were, she I cut out like all of the wheat and the corn and the soy and inflammatory foods we were having. And I started just only buying organic foods and trying to make things at home as much as I could to get away from all the preservatives and additives that we find in the grocery store. It's even like... I, I almost hate to say this, but the health food industry is just as profitable as the medical and pharmaceutical industry. So just because it's marketed as a health food, don't believe them. They're probably lying to
0: you. You've got to do a little digging for some things for sure. <laughs>
1: So that's kind of was like a hard thing for me because I'm kind of navigating that health aspect for the first time. I mean, growing up, my mom was more of a grow a garden. We obviously have a ranch, so we raise our own like cattle and pork and chickens a lot of the time. So we had kind of the free pass to healthier animal products, but we still would end up buying like bread and sometimes vegetables and stuff like that at the grocery store and snacks and all of that. So my diet was a little bit different growing up than I'd say like the traditional diet would be. Um, But still, I just didn't have a super big basis to go off of on how to actually like nourish my body. Like I said, I had anorexia as a teenager, I I grew up when being as skinny as possible was the pretty thing. And that I feel like that really affects us. Um, just because we're constantly in like a calorie deficient state, we're trying, you know, intermittent fasting and the new keto or paleo diet, whatever else comes up, That's like, you're going to lose weight and you're going to look so good. And we just put so much, so much, just pressure on especially women, but men also to feel like the prettiest or sexiest version of ourselves. And we completely forget that we actually have a body that was here to do something, whether it be, you know, raise children or you have a career. We're just we're focused on good and not feeling good.
0: That's right. Yeah. And I think a lot of lots of products are marketed to you know, be healthy. And like you kind of said before, but then they're actually not nourishing our bodies, like what nourishment actually means, you know? And so, yeah, I guess through your research for your daughter and even for yourself with your, um, uh, HG and postpartum, uh, you started to kind of make more homemade stuff, which is amazing. And I think I even stole like a couple of your ideas when I was trying to like put calories into my body. I remember you suggesting like adding cream into smoothies and I know smoothies are always great for us moms because you know we can just plug our nose and they're easy to puke up if we have to. Um so I always thought yeah, was thought that Yeah,
1: absolutely. Excellent.
0: And um yeah, and so I just always I found it very interesting how uh through that you found that like food is key to uh, health like for your daughter for yourself and so since you've kind of started to do more homemade stuff have you noticed a difference in your daughter's health then and like even yours yes yeah,
1: so my daughter actually hasn't puked in almost a year oh that's amazing. um not even a single time and so like as somebody who struggled with hg i'm sure you can appreciate like the, the absolute fantastic news that is because previously it was daily and it was basically a chronic diagnosis, meaning it was a lifetime diagnosis. And her doctor basically told us to prepare for her to puke every single day or almost every single day. Sometimes it's like a monthly thing. It's with the cyclic vomiting syndrome. It's really, it's, it kind of depends on the person as to how often they vomit, but it's unexplained vomiting that happens periodically. Um, So her not puking for almost a year is a big thing considering she was puking every single day. Before that. Um, I know a lot of things we did is we kind of cut out and tried to do organic foods, but also through like supplementation. Um We can talk a little bit about that, but I feel like that's something that's really going to help HG moms is learning more about the nutrition aspect, learning what foods not to put in their body and learning what like minerals and vitamins and even different like herbal supplements or things that we can implement into our diets that kind of help our bodies to be the best version of themselves.
0: Yes, that's exactly it.
1: I agree completely.
0: I didn't even know about bone broth when I was sick. I wish I would have known about that one.
1: (laughs) Bone broth is my ride or die. I actually, that was something I had kind of started researching my daughter's stuff before I got pregnant. I knew the nutrition was going to be key, but I didn't know at this point, I actually fully believe that somebody could prevent HG given approximately two years of preparation Mm -hmm. Um, with nutrition and supplementation. I feel like that is a statement that's going to get me a lot of hate because I also believe that we can cure mental illness with nutrition. And that one gets me the most hate out of anything that I ever say to people. Um, I think but very- our bodies, our bodies are just in such a mineral and vitamin deficient state that it leaves us kind of like an op- open invitation for different parasites and fungal growth and uh say Lyme disease, Bartonella, things like that that'll just come and kind of live inside of us and we're not taught about this when we go to the doctor with our symptoms. We're told we have autoimmune diseases and that we're making up symptoms and I I just I don't think that it's helpful to our overall health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
0: I I guess um I don't I don't think you'll get any hate, but I think it's great to explore these perspectives because as someone who treated my body horribly before I got pregnant, this may this resonates with me a little bit and also why I'm kind of on the journey I am right now before second baby and hoping to kind of say to moms, like, hey, um, if you are planning to have a second, baby and there is that 80% chance of HG happening again you need to be prepared and maybe this is how you can prepare that and i hope to kind of maybe work with you as well on this and showing moms um what can be done in that preparation time
1: yeah absolutely um i i think it's really hard for some moms because we're you know we're kind of pushed to get our pre-baby body back and we're pushed to do this or that so that we're skinnier. And then there's also the aspect of it where we're trying to like destigmatize obesity. And I personally, I have zero concerns for how somebody looks. I want to know how somebody feels. If your body does not feel good, I do not care how you look. Um, And for me, that was kind of a hard thing because like, especially in the early 2000s, up to say like 2010, like being super skinny was the fashion statement like that almost anorexic state that women had to be in to maintain that body figure, I think weighed a lot more on us than we even really realize. That's so true. Um, I after
0: like my HG and I would see like even models on TV who I know might be struggling with like an eating disorder. My heart would just sink because I almost like, I almost couldn't, I almost knew how they were feeling and I knew that they weren't healthy. It was a weird experience after
1: HG. (laughs) Right. And your experience with ARFID, like... I feel like you can kind of resonate with people that are struggling because while it wasn't necessarily not eating to lose weight, I feel like sometimes it can kind of turn into well, I look pretty good, so I guess it doesn't matter. I know that was at least my experience with not being able to eat during postpartum as well. I'm losing weight and I look good, so I guess at least something good comes out of this. Yes, one of
0: the first things that some of the females in my family commented on was my what I looked like and how i had appeared you know not like how they appeared after their pregnancy where they were maybe carrying a little bit more weight but because of hg mine disappeared and it was i'm not i'm not going to go as far as to say they were jealous but it was just a very unnecessary uh dis- disempowering um statement that they would just make towards me you know and other moms. I feel like I moms experience this too. <laughs> you no,
1: know, I feel like definitely that is something that HG moms deal with a lot. I know like I probably gained, I don't know, five pounds this pregnancy, from my pre-weight. So I gained back the 20 pounds that I lost, but I only was up by like maybe about five pounds. And with a normal healthy pregnancy, you'd want to gain like 15 to 30 pounds, maybe even mm-hmm. more sometimes depending on who you are. And so I had a lot of women in my life being like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. You're going to snap back to your pre-baby body so fast. Yeah. And I, I'm sitting here going, do you realize that I'm literally vomiting every day? And that's why I look like this. Like, yes. I don't want to look like this. I'd rather look like one of my mom's cows out in the field carrying <laughs> their babies. Like, that's how I, I felt I, I, yeah, I just, learned. I don't feel like we should look like this while we're pregnant. Right. And
0: I feel that the focus should not be, you know, when a mom is sitting in a room full of people after just g- giving birth within a few weeks or whatever, the topic of conversation should not be revolving around a mom's body, whether it be, you know, positive or negative. That should just be the last thing that people are focused on, you know, like you said earlier, oh, just what, how the, or how the person feels on the inside.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just feel like we have a lot of focus on how people look. And that's really stopping us from being able to really nourish our bodies in a lot of ways. And then just the lack of knowledge on how to do that. Um, Because like you've got anywhere you look on social media or on TV, or even like your friends, you've got people saying, oh, I work out two hours a day or I eat like this, or I intermittent fast, I do keto, I am vegan, I'm vegetarian, and you've got all these different like pressures for how to look your best. And it's not really concerning about how people feel their best. Um,
0: yes. yes.
1: And so like, my problem with a couple of those things are, we're not focusing on your individual body type and what it takes to nourish you. We're not considering like, so Something I've kind of been reading a lot is like ancestral eating. So, like, say, mm-hmm. uh, my my mom's family is like Welsh and Norwegian and like like cold ocean dwelling people. Okay. So, oh, I would I would probably be a, the healthiest if I were to eat like my ancestral lineage would have back in their time. Okay. Um, so, like eating based on where you're living is another big thing too. So for me, like I can eat a lot of, I can eat a lot of meat. I can eat a lot of seafood. I can eat dairy and wheat and things like that. Don't really bother my stomach and my say, my my genetics say that I should be able to enjoy that. And that's going to nourish my body. Whereas somebody who was say if their family was African, they probably wouldn't be eating as much meat. They wouldn't be eating as much like wheat products, sometimes probably even not as many dairy products. They'd be eating more fruits and things that they could find like in forage on the land, probably sometimes fish still, stuff like that, like if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. I never even really thought about that. Like I've I've kind of dug into some ancestral stuff, but yeah, eating like your ancestors, that is something, that's a very interesting subject. I learned something new.
1: (laughs) So that's, it's really interesting to kind of dig into, and I'm not saying that's going to work for everybody, because obviously we are not segregated by race in our current world. So a lot of us have a lot of different genetics at play there, but really finding the lifestyle and diet that works for your body isn't going to look exactly like what works for my body. Um yeah. And I, and but, I, think, oops, sorry, go ahead. Um, I think I think there's some key points that we can take off of, of that because there are some like really, really nourishing foods that almost every culture would recommend that women, pregnant women, women who are about to conceive, young children, mm-hmm. infants as they're starting to feed would eat, uh, think like egg yolks, fish eggs, um, organ meat from animals. Right, right. Um, Stuff like that that's just super, super nourishing for the body and is providing them with a lot of vitamins and minerals um, that we're just kind of missing in our day-to-day diet.
0: That's so true. And I found like during my HG that um, I don't know if this rings true for you, but I was craving that fresh kind of almost like... what's the word? Like going back to my roots. Like I craved, um, the, the raw meats, the raw fruits, stuff like that, even raw fish to an extent. And, uh, I wonder if that was like my body trying to connect, almost connect me back to like mm, my ancestry almost in a way.
1: (laughs) That'd be interesting to actually look into. I know I, craved sushi and I actually ate sushi a lot while I was pregnant. Um, I Whoa. had a hard time eating meat but when you have HG and you're vomiting all the time, stomach acid is what helps you digest meat and red meat's one of the hardest to digest even though it's so high in nutrition. So a lot of us maybe have a hard time digesting red meat and stuff like that while we're pregnant with HG because of all the puking and the lower stomach acid content. So it's almost like HG might encourage us to kind of find a healthier lifestyle, but it can also prevent it in some ways too.
0: Oh, yeah, that is so true. Like that that first statement you made and then the, the followed by the second, I was like, oh yeah, you're right. It can be it can be so good in in certain cases. And I think with education and support. But then it can be so bad, like, as I think everyone's kind of seen with my state of mental health after postpartum for a little bit there. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Well,
1: I mean, and like with a postpartum mental health, say you just got done with an HG pregnancy, you didn't have as much relief as you could have, even if you did use cannabis or say you went the medical route and you had some relief or no relief at all. Preparing foods for yourself postpartum is incredibly difficult, um, mm-hmm. and I think it can prevent us from bonding with our babies, from breastfeeding our babies. Because if our body's not nourished, the last thing our bot we're really gonna want to do is be feeding a baby. I mean, they've done research showing that feeding a baby breast milk or producing breast milk takes more energy from your body than actually keeping your brain running.
0: Exactly. Um, exactly.
1: So like doing that just after you've gotten through like the nutritional crisis of HG can just be really detrimental. And then a lot of us so say we had that nutrient deficiency during pregnancy, our, our health gets passed on to our babies. Um, and so a lot of times we'll end up with really cranky babies, babies who are sick, babies who have reflux and vomiting. Yes, I was going to touch on this. i had written
0: down, uh, we were, uh, I wanted to talk about the vagus nerve um and the vagus nerve tone in this and your yes thinking so behind that. um
1: that that nerve actually is kind of how your body processes your fight or flight response right um so think trauma ptsd of hg the, the way your body feels during hg you're passing on your um nerve tone during pregnancy to your baby mm-hmm. and so i guess- think moms mm-hmm. who have hg They're going to pass on kind of that trauma-induced state to their baby, and I feel like that is something that's not really talked or shared about because it's really hard to tie the research to that because it's epigenetics. It's a little bit different than, say, your baby's going to have blue eyes because both parents have blue eyes or something like that.
0: That's true. I think some moms can, you know, if they don't agree with this belief, it's whatever. But I think some moms listening to this might be like, you know what, like that's actually I can I can agree with that. Because I know when you kind of told me about this idea, I was like, oh, hmm, that makes a little bit of sense with my little bit angry baby.
1: <laughs> oh Yeah, it's definitely it was kind of hard for me to see, especially um, considering all of the work I did during pregnancy for my second baby to watch the differences between my first and second baby. Uh, my first daughter, she's still very, very emotional and sensitive, almost like her body is still kind of in that constant fight or flight response Mm -hmm. state. And my second baby, I obviously I did a lot of meditation and obviously the cannabis use and things that were just very calming and worked on healing like inner child trauma and stuff like that to kind of make sure that my son didn't end up with this poor start to begin with in his life. And I, I feel like that was beneficial just based on the differences between my two children and the differences in my pregnancies and knowing what I did. Obviously that may or may not ring true for everybody, but I know it definitely did for me.
0: And that's, that's such valuable. Um, that's such a valuable story to tell. Um, even if it doesn't ring true for everyone, but that is like, that is super interesting. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So like my daughter, like she would wake up. I mean, she gave us a routine four to six hour first stretch of sleep, but even still she'll wake up sometimes at night and she's just, she's just, she needs that comfort of somebody being there to comfort her or talk to her, or she'll literally just get hysterical because, and that's her personality is to instantly go into that hysterical crying phase rather than to sit and be like, consider where she's at and who she's with and how life's going Mm. and I mean she's only three she's just a toddler so we're still dealing with baby emotions and not big kid emotions but and my son is four months old and he should be right in the middle of his four-month sleep progression and he slept eight hours last night woke up to eat once and I think he's still asleep right now um at 10 15 so he's just, he's a sleepy baby. He'll wake up. And the first thing he does when he wakes up is he starts kind of giggling and talking to himself. Um, and he's just very, very calm. I think I can count on one hand the number of times he's actually cried rather than just fussed. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't vomit barely ever. Um, it's just, it's very, very different. And I, I definitely think that has to do with the differences I made in my tr- my nutrition and in my emotional work that I did within myself for my pregnancy. Yeah I I would support that theory completely
0: <laughs> um, uh, um what was I gonna say next? Oh yes um we were kind of chatting earlier about the feeling of well I guess being a little bit alone in terms of, all of this research and just dis- discoveries in a way. Um, and if, I know you've also kind of dealt with this and I deal with this almost on a daily basis, but just feeling like, for lack of a better word, crazy. Um, as like other people around us aren't quite um, understanding, well, HG, plant medicine, nourishing the body, all this kind of stuff like has just never really, been either taught in school. I know you, I think you're, you were homeschooled, but like in, in the public school system, Catholic school system, there's none of this being taught. So I guess it's like, if we grow up in a home that doesn't teach this, or we don't grow up on a farm or a ranch where we have access to that food, it's like, where are we supposed to learn this? And so now I'm realizing that there's so many moms who were kind of like me, who just had no clue about all of this stuff. And then We get HD and now we're trying to figure it out. But I guess that brings me back to the point of the feeling crazy. Um, And what has been your experience? Like, has anybody made you feel bad for your beliefs or anything like that?
1: Oh, yeah. It's like almost a daily thing, especially since I've started kind of posting a little bit more to my Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, just different social media platforms about my beliefs in hopes that I can, you know, maybe help guide moms to some information that might help them. There's people who are basically telling me that's not true. There's no way this is possible. This is genetic. I'm destined to suffer with this for my entire life. You're insane. I There's Oh, God, I've gotten like death threats for telling people that mental health is uh, not something that they are just cursed with. Like you can change that with your diet. I've been, I some some mornings I'll wake up and I'll be like, do I really like actually think all these things? Even though all these people are telling me there's no way this is true, and I'm like, you know what? I I do. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in other people's lives that I've watched their research and their studies. I've read albeit hard to find research articles on how these things affect us. And I do fully believe it, even though there's people out there that are just really, really nasty about it towards me. Yes. Um it's especially hard. I have some family members who are kind of on board and I have some family members who think I'm insane. Um And really, as a young mom with my first, it was really hard to go against the grain and be like, nope, I'm doing things my way. I've done the research. I know better. And I really let that affect me. Um, Like my mother-in-law was really upset about some things that we were doing, boundaries we were setting, parenting styles. And that was really, really hurtful to me because I wanted that approval and that support from everybody that I was around And I didn't have a super great relationship with my mom up until actually this last year. So I had a really good relationship with my mother-in-law. And the fact that she was so against some of my beliefs and how I wanted to do things was just so hurtful and hard to navigate. Um, And just like the need for approval kind of kept me from diving into that research And it was, I I don't know, it was just hard to kind of break away from the grain of this is normal to no, I researched this, I know this is better for my family, for me, for my kids, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And it was actually really healing to kind of break away from worrying about what people think to going, nope. If I'm crazy, so be it. I feel better living like this. My kids feel better living like this. So we're happy. I don't care what anybody else thinks.
0: That is such a good way to look at it. I need to think more like that. <laughs> um, as a first time mom, that was a good, a really good point. Um, as a first-time mom, when you're dealing with all of this stuff, like with our first child first kids. Um, it can just be so daunting and so scary. Like you were kind of explaining where there's all these other women around us telling our, their opinions to us, but yet we know our own experience and our own experience being so different being, you know, HG and whatnot. Um, it's, it's, just, it's something else. That's for sure. <laughs> um, Absolutely, and It really reiterates the fact that our intuition is so, so powerful, especially because of the HG experience. And so I think moms who are listening to this, who are first time moms could maybe, um, just, I guess be more at peace with the fact that, um, like other people, what what am I trying to say? Like other people just aren't going to understand, kind of. But there is a no, com- absolutely there are moms out there who understand, and that those stories are just are more valuable than other people's opinions who didn't have HG almost.
1: <laughs> well, no if like if one. I could give if I could give one gift to every new mom out there, it would be that. The, the realization and the deep-seated belief that other people's opinions just don't matter. um, Just that I don't give a fuck personality that in that mindset, I feel like could so benefit moms learning to use their intuition like I don't care if this is your first baby I trust your intuition I trust you to know if something's going on Mm -hmm. I trust you to be able to make decisions and come to the best solutions for yourself and your baby and if you want help I'm here for it but I want you to be involved in helping yourself because you know your baby you know your body better than anybody else better than any doctor better than anybody else who's even experienced the same things as you you Mm -hmm. we just we've really drawn a line where we don't want people to be deeply connected to themselves um but I don't know I know that's something we've kind of talked about is indigenous cultures and their relationship with intuition and like say mother nature or a spiritual being like that spirituality aspect even if you're not spiritual I feel like learning to be in tune with your intuition is one of the most important things you can do I think so too. And I think society has tried
0: to take that away from us. Um, like even when it comes to, let's say menstruation and having our period, uh, so many of us have been disconnected to that. And I think that's our first connection with our body as women. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think we're given birth control pills and we can skip our period as often as we want. Right. Which
0: ultimately leads to that complete disconnect, especially like if you're not having your period, And so, I don't know, I see that as like a way that women could almost prepare for that connection or intuition is if society can start to shift that conversation about menstruation to be more positive and holistic and more in tune with our bodies and the flow of the earth, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know it's it's almost hard because we we want to believe that our doctors have like our best interest at heart and are there to help us and i really truly believe that there are some fantastic medical professionals who want to help people but just the the current like uh, just agenda for pharmaceuticals and reliance on the medical system just gives me a really poor feeling. And as somebody who spent the last three years, just learning to lean into my intuition, I'm going to trust that and say, it's just not for me and my family. Um, of course, like say if one of us was hurt and needed to go to the doctor, I would, it wouldn't stop me from going to the hospital, um, at all. Um, but just for the day-to-day things like I I have a friend who goes to the doctor every time her kids have the sniffles and I'm like, do we really need to do that? What's your doctor going to tell you? Are they going to push, you know, antibiotics and ruin your kid's gut health for the next nine months? Like Mm -hmm. I I just, at what point do we decide we need our doctors, but we don't need to be so reliant on them in our day-to-day lives? Yeah. It's become really apparent to me or just so
0: clear how us moms can really be like, healers if we know how to do it and we're given the education support for our own children Uh, like you said of course there's things we can't heal like we'll take them to the doctor but there's so many things that we can do at home for our kids that are more in their best interest and for the health of their bodies and minds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if it's encouraging to anybody, I helped my daughter heal her cyclic vomiting syndrome without the help of a single doctor or even natural practitioner. That was based entirely off of my own research and my intuition. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that the cyclic vomiting syndrome community thinks is absolutely impossible and I'm here to tell you that healing anything that's wrong in your body is not impossible. your body is making new cells and rebuilding itself every single day if you can find what's preventing it from building healthy cells you can let you can let your body heal itself um I feel like one of the first things that you have to fix is actually your mindset, your intuition though because if your mind says we can't heal your body's not going to heal.
0: Yeah, that's true. I th- And I think HG moms have almost like an advantage to this because we have that like kind of kickstarted intuition, which is cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think one thing I see a lot with HG moms is, oh, I'm going to have HG again. And I, I almost hate that mindset, even though it's probably likely that a lot of us will have HG again. But I feel like we're almost talking ourselves into having HG again, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, So it's like, it's kind of that hard point between preparing for what could be a really terrible pregnancy, but also saying, I believe my body is powerful and self-healing and I'm going to do my best to give it the nutrition that it needs to be its most powerful and healed version, um, without kind of letting yourself fall into that whole negative, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to have this condition forever and, Every time I say that, I, my mother-in-law has like celiac disease, which is a lifelong condition. And I told her the other day, I said, I don't think you have to be sick with this for life. And she laughed at me. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm I'm dead serious. I don't think you need to have celiac for life. I think you can reverse it. And I think that you can eat bread again. And she's like, you're insane. I said, I know I'm insane, but I've watched other people do it. And I think that you can too. <laughs> wow, that's Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) And of course, you know her. Her thing was, well, tell me exactly what I have to do, and I'll try it. And I said, look, here's the problem. I can't tell you what you need to do. It's going to depend on your body and your intuition and what's going on specifically in your body. Because just because what I did for my body helped me heal, or what I did for my daughter's body helped her heal, I can't tell you what's going on in your body. I'm not in tune with your body.
0: Right. Everybody. And so
1: that's kind of our I feel I feel like our reliance to the medical system has kind of led us to saying well you tell me what to do and I'll get better and I I feel like that's kind of a roadblock for a lot of people is it's no it's your body is going to tell you what you need to do you need to learn to listen to your body Mm -hmm.
0: right makes sense to me (laughs) (laughs) um I am probably going to wrap up our conversation pretty soon but i was just wondering um my last kind of question being what is i guess you've kind of already touched on it but what is like the best advice you could give i guess to a mom who could potentially have hg for the second time um but i yeah i guess what is your best advice as a mom who really saw the difference between first baby and second baby
1: So for me, it's kind of it's it's multifaceted here. I would recommend doing whatever you need to to survive, be that medication, be that cannabis, be that terminating your pregnancy, if you really can't handle the emotional state of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And. I feel like that's something that's overlooked a lot when I'm talking about how the body can heal, because I really do truly believe that you need to do what you need to to survive in the condition that you're living right now. You can't, you can't heal if your mindset's consistently in that place that HG puts us. You need to, you need to survive your HG pregnancy. Um, Very true. And so, I guess
0: there's stories, you know, like with circumstances of, you know, domestic violence, for example, where of course this doesn't really apply.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, sometimes living healthy can be really expensive. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm fortunate enough to know how to make and forage a lot of things that we use and live in a place where I can do that. Not a lot of moms are, I have that privilege. Um, I'm able to stay home with my kids. I have that privilege. It's that not a lot of moms can do that. And I recognize that. So really doing what you need to, to survive, trying different strains of cannabis, trying different medications, if that's what you feel you need to. And then just, Starting to recognize your intuition and get in touch with that. Um, it's gonna be really hard at first for a lot of us, especially because we're gonna be like, nope, that sounds insane. I'm not doing that, but just just try it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not likely to hurt you, just trying to listen to your body and what it's telling you. Um and um the other like big thing that I feel like a lot of moms should do is adding minerals to what they're eating and drinking. Um It's just like a mini, tiny little bit of support that can make a huge difference in HG and you and your baby's health. Um, Just different like trace minerals that can be really inexpensive. You can find them on Amazon pretty much anywhere you are. Um, So minerals, intuition, do what you need to to survive. I love that. Those are my three steps to being, I don't know, enlightened, doing better (laughs) in life.
0: (laughs) preparing or... Getting ready for And then,
1: I guess, kind of on the other side of that is to be prepared for whatever may come with mental health. We don't really talk about what happens in our mental health postpartum, especially after HG when our bodies are just drained and nutrient deficient from the start in postpartum. Mm-hmm. There, there, there may be like intense rage. There may be like serious depression. You may feel suicidal. You may check on your baby every five minutes. Cause you think they're going to stop breathing. If you don't look at them, um, yep. we are probably going to have to have another conversation to talk about postpartum mental health. Cause I could go into a lot there. Yes, um, I think that
0: would be a va- very valuable conversation. That'd be wonderful,
1: but really just being open to what happens and asking for help and don't stop asking for help until you find your community. Yes. Um, you've started this fabulous community that I absolutely adore for SHG moms and stuff. And I really wish I'd had something like that when I was pregnant with my first or even in the first part of my pregnancy with my son. Right. Yes. You and me
0: both. And I'm happy that everyone's here now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, Ashley, for joining me today. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat
1: soon. Yeah, of course. Thank you for inviting me. I've had a great time.
0: HG Moms are some of the bravest women I know. We were built from darkness and had to rise above. We were given little help, resources, or community by those in charge of our care but we created it ourselves once we could unite through the internet and tell our stories where we could tell the truth about plant medicine and surviving HG.